This is Invest Like a Honeybee, the podcast where you learn to be smart with your money and invest wisely. Before we get started, please remember that this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. I'm not an investment advisor. Please make sure you discuss any changes to your portfolio with your registered advisors. I may continue to hold stocks I discuss in this podcast or not, depending on when you listen to this podcast. This is about Invest Like a Honeybee. I'm Henry J. Speck. Let's get started. In today's podcast, I talk with Justin Moy, who at the age of 29 is considered an expert in the area of apartment building investments, where investors actually purchase equity or put in money to purchase a piece of an apartment building that otherwise they could not do. Now, while we talk about that business, I want you to think about and listen to how he got to where he is today and how Justin's um, work ethic, his grind, had been motivated. Just an interesting interview, and for sure, if I were uh, close to Kansas City, where he is based, and he was doing a startup, I'd want to get involved. Here's my interview with Justin Moy. Okay, so hey folks, it's Hank from Invest Like a Honeybee. Today I have Justin Moy. Hopefully I said that right, Justin, did I? Perfect, perfect. Justin's in Kansas City, Missouri today. Now, are you a Chief fan? Kansas City I Chief? am not a Chiefs fan. I recently Ooh. moved here. I recently moved here. It's hard to not be a, a somewhat of a fan though, because the whole city shuts down when they play. So I the energy is always really fun. You have kind of a good quarterback, eh? Yeah, we have an okay one. He's doing okay. <laughs> a pretty good coaching staff that can uh, really outplay almost anybody. Listen, we've been <laughs> lifelong Detroit Lion fans, season tickets, the whole bad news. So you must, even though you're not totally into them, it's got to be nice to be around that. Yeah, it's good energy. It's good energy. That That's that's almost all the fun, right, is the energy around watching the game. So, so Justin, I had a look at your site. I downloaded your ebook and stuff. But I thought we'd just start, because uh, the purpose of these, of course, are to get people to be a bit more educated, know what's out there. And, you know, sometimes I ask tough questions, but it, you know, you're, you're, you're a smart guy. We'll, we'll, yeah. we'll get through this. So tell Love me it. how you got to where you're at today. Yeah. So where I'm at today, you know, I've been in the real estate game as, as a profession since I was even before 18, uh, my very first internship was at a commercial real estate office. Um, and I really fell in love with just this industry uh, right off the bat. Um, and so right when I turned 18, I got my real estate license and I started my uh, brokering business, essentially. Um, that brokering business had a, had a tremendous ups and downs. And, you know, I was able to make phenomenal money there, but I realized that I was very transactional. When was and that? I, Sorry, what what time period and where were you at making, selling real estate? Yeah, th- so this was this was about 11 years ago today. And um, this was in the East Bay of California. So if you go to San Francisco Bay Area, you go yep. across the bridge to the east. It's called the East Bay, which was at the time, and it probably still is pretty up there, the third most competitive market in the country. What was an average house back then, do you think? We My were average home sale was $2.2 million. Yikes. And what's the commission? Two, two points on that? Yeah, it would be anywhere from... So the commission is going to be split. So it'll be anywhere from my share will be about one and a half to 2% to two and a half percent. Yeah. One and a half to two and a half percent. That's great. I mean, so, that's crazy. What are those houses now? Yeah. Jeez. I mean, I haven't lived in the Bay area for, you know, quite a few years, but you're probably inching those close to 3 million bucks at this point. So we're so. talking right after the crash you were involved. 
Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, it was, and that, that was abnormally high. Right. And, and a lot of people, when, when homes are that expensive, you have a ton of real estate agents, right? It was like oh, yeah. one of the most densely populated. If you look at people who have their license, um, it was so concentrated in all these areas with these very expensive homes. Um, so it's a very competitive market. It's a tooth and nail market. Everybody's clawing at business. And as a, you know, 18 year old kid, you're just hustling. You're hustling against people who have been there for generations. So tell us how you got there. Cause you, you said that you were one of the top sales folks in that region. How did you get there? Yeah. Well, what did you yeah. do? Yeah. So my strategy directly was I would cold call. I would cold call like crazy. And uh, some people hearing this, they're going to say, oh my God, you know, it's so annoying. I was one of those guys. And, and I most certainly was because that's how I, that's how I made it. You know, a lot of people in that industry, in that area, they inherited business. There were people oh, that- oh, Okay. Hang on, hang on. So let's say I'm Hank and you cold called me. Yeah. I got, because, because we've all done that now. I'm an old guy. I've, I've cold called and it's tough to hear all those no's and stuff. So, so give me the two second spiel. You call me up. What do you say? Jeez. My script was essentially because I sold to investors. Okay. So I would say, hey, Hank, I was giving you a call. You're the owner of you know the property on, on Main Street, correct? Yeah. And they would say yes. And I'd say, hey, in all transparency, I'm a real estate broker. I'm just cold calling investors in the area. I work with a lot of investors. Just want to know if you had any interest in selling that property in maybe the next 12 months or so. Got it. And that's it. Very short and sweet. I like the sales style of Jordan Belfort where you know at some point I'm not really selling. I'm marketing. And then if you say, uh, oh, maybe what's it worth? You know, now I'm selling right before. I mean, and it's a volume game. You've been in that game. It, yep. It's a volume. If people tell me, no, I'm in a hole. I'm going to die with that. And my parents, my kids are going to get it. Okay. Fantastic. I, I appreciate it. Do you know anybody on that street who is looking at something? So hang on. You were selling multi-units for 2.2 or single family homes? No, for these were single family homes. Yeah. These were oh, single okay. family homes. Okay. I ended up selling a lot of vineyard homes mm -hmm. um, because actually the very first sale I got, I didn't get my first sale till about six months of, of wow. business. It's, it's grueling. And I'll tell you a very brief story on it. So it was six months. I was cold calling like crazy. I mean, between four and maybe nine hours a day, just hitting the phones, hitting the phones, hitting the phones. And you've been there. So no, no, no. And you're just kind of going through this. You feel like you're getting nowhere. And one day it was, I remember it was eight o'clock at night. And I was the last person in the office. I had my headset on. I had that little dent on the top of my head <laughs> because the headset had been on me for so long. Um, and I just threw my headset down and I said, forget it. This, this isn't working. And I, you know, put my face in my hands and I, I said, I'm a failure. You know, I told all my friends and family, this is what I was doing. Then next time they see me, they're going to ask, how's it going? I got to tell them I quit. And, you know, and I was done and I was so defeated. And I was thinking of ways that I would justify quitting. Okay, my friends asked me, I'll tell them, oh, the market, no, the market's really good right now. I can't say that. Oh, well, you know, what is it going to be? It was too young. I got discriminated against. Okay, I'll say that. You know, I was having all these excuses already. And what I used to do is I used to go on Craigslist and look for people selling their homes on Craigslist without a broker. And I just so happened to open up my laptop and I was getting ready to shut it down. And one more listing had popped up. One more listing had popped up. I remember it was on a street called Chocolate Street. And I stared at that listing for maybe a, maybe a solid minute or two. And I said, you know, do I do, who cares? I've been cold calling for six months now, four to <sighs> eight hours, nine hours a day. What's the difference one's going to make? I should just leave. But for some reason, I said, forget it. One more call and I'll be done with this forever. I'll never do this again. I called her, um, picked up the phone. I half-assed my script because I was defeated. I was really already done at that point. And she had said, yeah, actually, you know, if, if you're interested in coming by and, and showing me what you can do, that'd be great. 
And I had never gotten told yes before. I didn't even know what to say. I must have went, oh, oh okay, you know, are you free tomorrow? You know, I, I've never been to that point of the, of the sales. So how did you eat for six months? Oh, thankfully, I was 18 years old. I was living at home. Oh, I see. Okay, I'm sorry. You're <laughs> yeah. still 18 at the time. Yeah, I was 18 at the time. Yeah. So you go out to this place and it's a vineyard? Yeah. So so her home was not a vineyard. But what happened was I listed her home and she was buying a home in a vineyard. Oh. They closed on the same day. That very first sale ended up being a $60,000 net commission to me. What'd you do? How'd you celebrate? Who'd you call? I celebrated (laughs) by hitting the, by hitting the phones even harder. (laughs) Seriously? You just kept, okay, let's backtrack. How did you get so resilient to failure? You didn't, would you play sports or you just, what's going on here? I I played sports and you know, the, the thing that motivated me back then was, you know, in a way, the same thing that motivates a lot of people today is a lot of people, they'll actually work a lot harder to avoid pain than to pursue pleasure. And to me, that pain was failure. That pain was failure. When I was sitting there and I was quitting and my face was in my hands at the office by myself and the lights were off, literally the only thing I could think of was how am I going to tell my parents and my friends and my family that I quit, that I was a failure, that I told them I was doing this. I had to update my Facebook status, you know? So I think that was such a driving factor to me. And it still is, is, you know, how, how will other people see me? What, you know, what kind of example do I set for others? You graduate high school, it sounds like. I graduated high school, yes. And then your parents say it's okay for you to hang out and call. Like, did they really believe you're calling or playing video games all day? Like, how did you convince them that you were working? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I, I'm very fortunate that my parents have always supported me unconditionally. And that already is, is an enormous advantage than a lot of people have. So, no, they've always supported me. And many times I'd come home and, and you know, they could see the look of defeat on my face. Um, you know, they've been through ups and downs, so they got it. So, you know, who knows what they thought of, but once I got that first sale, they knew that it, that it was, really okay, but I got to ask you, sir, how did you get the work ethic? Cause work ethic is so rare today. You got to tell us, what do you think led to you to grind like this? Yeah. Um, I mean, really the fear of failure was huge for me. You know, I've always considered myself, I've always looked at, at life and thought, you know, my parents went the conventional kind of corporate ladder route. And my parents are not college educated, which I was not at the time either. And I saw the limitations that that at least they had told me that they had from a professional life. Both my parents, for lack of a better term, they, they don't like their jobs. They do it because they have that old school mentality, put your head down, get your work done, get a good day's work in, go home. And I just didn't want to live that. And so the paths for me were to either work extraordinarily hard now, build something up for yourself to give it to have a different life or follow their path. So I think that fear as well also led me to, no, no, this is the only way that I escape that life is by doing something different than other people are doing and really going through this, these hardships now. Did you invest the 60 grand or what'd you do with it? Buy a car? Or would you... <laughs> I didn't buy a car. I still drive the, the same car that I got in high school. Nice. Um, no, I reinvest a little bit of it. I, I took my girlfriend at the time out to a nice dinner. Um, and I just kept, I just kept working because the thing about real estate sales is very transactional. I didn't know if I was going to go another six months without getting a check. Wow. So it, it, that's one of the reasons too, why I switched over into investing and being more of the owner. And that's what I do today because that transactional nature of the business, while the money's fantastic, it always provides a certain level of stress and limitations where you're always chasing the next deal. You're always on the hamster wheel. Take so, me through that. I, Sorry, I, I don't want to, I don't want, I, I kind of got you off track there, but tell me, keep us going forward till you get to where you are today. So you're, you're, you make your yeah. first sale, you're killing it in real estate. 
I assume yeah. eventually you you say you were the top sales guy and then you end up switching careers. Yeah, so I end up switching careers. I do end up backtracking and and going to college, you know, part-time while I'm doing some other things. I've always been an entrepreneur. Um, when I was in college, I had different, you know, power washing businesses and I had car care businesses, mm. I had pet care businesses. You know, I was always doing extra stuff. Um, and then after that, I had gotten into what is called real estate syndication, which is what I do now. Now, the quick, you know, layman's term elevator pitch is I help people invest in apartment buildings passively for double digit returns and some of the best tax benefits that this country, America, has to offer. So really switching in that owner role because I want I knew I wanted to be an investor. I knew I wanted to own because that's where a lot of the money is made is in owning properties. And I wanted to be able to open other people up to this path as well. You own some on your own? Yes. Yeah, so I, I do own properties on my own, but a lot of our properties are owned with other investors. So what will happen is we'll buy apartment buildings anywhere. Our smallest right now is 41 units. Um, our biggest is 144 units. And what we do is we buy these bigger apartment buildings and investors will invest in the buildings with us in a passive sense. We use their money to buy the, the property in exchange for equity in the in the, the property. And then we buy them, we finance them, we manage them, we rehab them, and then we sell them off. Okay, let's do a little fun example here. So I know people get frozen over with numbers, but I love numbers. So let's say yeah. you've got a you've got a five million dollar building today. Yeah. Um, first question, which which I talk a lot about, how do you know what the value? How do you guys assess the value of that building? Let's say it's uh, five million, and it's bringing in um, I don't know uh, four hundred grand a year in net income. Yeah. So there's a couple ways to value commercial real estate. Now, one of them is something called a cap rate. So that's going to be your net income. So if you're bringing in $400,000 a year of net income, cap rates in markets that we're in are anywhere from, you know, four to 6%. So, so I just gave you an eight cap, right? That's an A cap. Oh, that's yeah. So, so yeah, you already gave me the price. Yep, that's correct. So, it, so if it's an A cap, but but hang on, if you're saying four and six, I'm a little confused because interest rates today, buddy, are seven, yeah, percent on a commercial. So, what? How does that yeah. work? On a on a market basis, because another way to value properties is going to be on projections. So, a lot of what people do now in the value add space, which is what we do, is very rarely are we purchasing, let's say, an A cap property, and we're just we're just purchasing that to hold it where a lot of the bigger returns are made is in purchasing something that's, let's say, you know, bringing in $400,000 now, but we know if we're able to rehab the units, we are able to fix some operational inefficiencies they're having, which is a big part of what we do, um, then we can increase that income. You know, in, in some cases, we've doubled the income pretty quickly. So let's talk about that. So if, I, if I've got a $5 million building, right, how much of that would you get conventional and how much would you get from investors? So what we do, I mean, it's still going to be financed through a bank. So if you're going to have a $5 million building, let's say very loose rule of thumb, now it's going to be great. Let's say you got to put 30% down mm -hmm. and then you're going to have an additional 5% in closing costs. So let's say you got to come up with 35%. So 5 million times 0.35, you're going to have about $1.75 million that you need to come up with. It includes down payment, legal fees, transfer taxes, everything. So what we'll do is we'll say, okay, we're we're gonna put in as the operating partners, you know, let's let's call it three hundred thousand dollars because we're investors as well. So now we have one point seven five million. We need we're gonna put in three hundred thousand. So minus three hundred thousand, we have one point four five million left. So what we'll say then is we'll go to our investors and we'll say, hey investors, 
we're purchasing this property. Here's the business plan. Here are the projected returns. We're raising $1.4 million for the property. And we're doing that in increments of, let's say, $25,000 to $50,000 minimum. So if you're going to invest $25,000 into this property, you're going to get X percentage of this in a passive sense. So we're not coming up with this entire 1.7 million ourselves, or we don't need you to have 1.7 million. We are opening this up to many investors who can invest a smaller portion and get equity for the property. So am I on title or is it some other agreement? So you're you're on the ownership of the LLC that is purchasing the property. So so the bank comes up with say 3.5. Correct. What's the rate today down in um, where you are in Kansas City? Yeah. So, I mean, right now, if you're, if you're in a bridge, a short-term bridge product, yeah, you could be up in 10, close to 11%. If you're in longer-term financing, we have HUD, a HUD quote right now for 5.5%, which is really, really good. Longer-term, 35-year um, term deals. But it depends on what kind of product you're doing. If you're doing a short-term product or you're looking to borrow rehab costs as well, yeah, you're getting hit. You're getting hit, you know, up to 10%. So what quality are most of your buildings when you buy them? A, B, C, D, E, F, or look at Yeah, out. Yeah, we do about B minus to uh, mid Cs. Yeah, okay. so we like to buy something with a little bit of rehab potential um, and where we know, you know, maybe the neighborhood is doing really, really well, but this property has maybe slipped a little bit. Now, so, I yeah. noticed one of your partners is a construction guy. Is that who does the construction? Yeah, so that's who manages the construction. So team is very important. Here. So everybody should has kind of stays in their lane and does what they do really, really well best. So yeah, so Brian, he's a guy on our team. Um, he also heads our construction in Boise where we build apartment buildings and then he manages construction with all of our other acquisitions as well. So for transparency, um, how hard is it for people to understand absolutely everything about that $5 million purchase? So our average investor is what I call a retail investor. So they're not really a real estate investor. They're maybe a consultant or we work with a lot of high net worth salespeople or entrepreneurs. So they are not in real estate every day like somebody like us. So will they truly understand every facet of the financing, the business plan, how to manage construction, what debt terms are looking for? It's up to us to educate them on those topics. And that, that's what I do. That's what I spend my time doing most of the days. Um, also, our, our podcast, Passive Real Estate Strategies, that's all I talk about. But the average retail investor is not going to be nearly as sophisticated as somebody who does it full time. Right, that doesn't make sense. So um, they're able to leverage our knowledge and their abilities to put up cash to get into these deals, which is a, a phenomenal way to, to kind of partner partner in those acquisitions. So I guess the question would be: It's an LLC, and the, and the people who invest are part of it, and then that LLC owns. They're second in line, obviously, to the bank. To the bank, uh, correct. So, so the issue really is: It a debt or is it on title? The LLC. The LLC will, will be title. So. The, the problem, well, there's a number of things. I know on your website, you compare it to public REITs, that, that it's a different process. Help, me, under, help yeah. me understand why this would be better or different. I guess different is a better word than a yeah. public REIT. Yeah, I, I agree. Different is a better word. Um, so a public REIT, what that is versus a private investment. So a public REIT is you're actually investing in the stock, the paper stock of a company that almost does what we do. Now, because of that, you have the pros and cons of investing in the stock market. The biggest one is liquidity. 
Most people, when they're looking at a public REIT versus a private investment, they want the liquidity of it. So just like a stock, you can buy it now, you can sell it then, almost whenever you'd like. Now, the thing about the stock too is that price or those returns are also going to be more dependent on the actual stock market than the performance of the actual properties. So we saw this during COVID where the actual performance of the properties that that public REIT might hold could actually be doing really, really well, but the stock price may not reflect that because the stock market itself is, is falling versus the private side, you are actually investing in the real asset. And with that, you get the pros and cons. One of them being you're not considered liquid. Anybody who invests in a private REIT, there's a lot of apps that do it now. A lot of times you can't just sell your shares. If you do want to sell them, sometimes there's penalties depending on how long you've owned it. Um, and sometimes there's a review and you can actually get rejected because it's just like a bank. They can't have everybody you know, liquidate their investment. So there's a process to it that makes it more illiquid than public REITs. But the pros are you get generally the better benefits of it. Historically, returns have been higher. If that continues, who knows? But historically, returns have been higher. The tax benefits are also the tax benefits of investing in real estate versus the tax benefits of investing in the stock market because you are actually invested in the real asset, not in a stock share of a company. So how does it work? Let's say we've got it. Uh, is, your, is your money tied up for five years on the mortgage or how long is your first mortgage usually? So it depends on the business plan. Most syndications are going to be about a three to five year initial note. Um, and then there could be some options to extend. A lot of times we like to see at least two options to extend for a year on our debt. So, but between three and five years for that initial note and then some, some extension possible. So five years pass and interest rates are seven and a half points and the value is 4 million. Do I get a cash call or how do we cover the difference? You could, you could get a cash call if things are going wrong. Um, and that's happening to a lot of people right now. Yeah, that's why I brought so, it up. Yeah. So and and so cash call essentially meaning, hey, investors, you know, we're we're in a tough spot. We need to float the expenses through, you know, maybe another year. Now everybody either has to put another fifty thousand dollars or you you get diluted. So what happens is when we do our analysis, is we want to look at what the cash flow is stabilized and when we'll get it there. And that cash flow should be able to float the property. And what we like to do is break even analysis to say, hey, like what does D-Day look like in this property? If we cannot sell it, will the, the income cover the expenses and then still provide a healthy return for the investors? If the answer is no, we don't buy it. So if you're doing a lot of those short-term flips and there's some operators out there who don't have that plan B or plan C, those are the people who are getting caught in cash calls right now. Um, thankfully, we haven't done a cash call and we don't, we don't, project will need any this year um, because we have cash flowing properties. So who do you, who do you use? Like you say that you're all over the country. If you're, you're in Kansas city, is that where your head office is? Yeah. Uh, Boise. Boise, Idaho. Boise, Idaho. Correct. Wow. So if you're in Boise, Idaho, and you've got an apartment building in Tampa, Florida, how do you get people to manage the calls and the usual things you have to take yeah. care of? Yeah, so we will only invest in a place if we have a partner that's local there. So that's what that's what brings me to Kansas City is, is I'm the I'm the point person here for for this area. We have uh, point people in St. Louis County. We have point people in Texas and in Arizona. So we you know if we're it's a market we're interested in, we will either partner with another group that's local there, and then if we really like the market, we really like the performance, we might expand there. 
Or we can even just outsource that and say, hey, we're partnering with this other group who does, you know, they've done 50 deals in this market. We're partnering together. So we, we always have, have a local presence. I think that's important. So you hire a local management company to do the calls and that kind of thing, or do you have your own platform? Oh, yeah, we do do management. No, so we <coughs> do management, um, not in-house, but we will hire hire third-party management for the properties. Yeah, that that's key. But even have a an operating partner to be local as well. Because one thing about you know real estate investments is I think that's such a big misconception is, oh, I'll buy a property, I'll hire a manager, they do all the work. That, that's not really how it goes. You can't just outsource this completely to a manager. Um, you do want to have local presence there. I do believe that's important. So where do you see the future for yourself? Yeah, the future for myself is, um, you know, Hank, I, I've, I've had a lot of businesses in my time. I've done a lot of roles. I've had a lot of jobs. And this is going to sound a little bit corny. Um, and I say that because when I used to hear other people say this, I, I thought it sounded corny. But when I started doing this role, and, and a lot of my job is talking with investors and educating people on passive real estate investing, it's truly what absolutely lit my soul on fire. I wake up every morning loving it. I love having conversations. I love seeing my calendar booked with calls to people who just have questions about real estate. I absolutely love what I do. So I see myself continuing this path because I think it's so important to keep people educated on different investment investing strategies. I think it's so important that everybody knows what they're getting into before they invest in things. And I think it's important to share that knowledge. You know, having a, been in the real estate game since I was 17 years old, I have such a unique insight to this industry that I can provide to a lot of people and I love doing it. So I see me doing this, you know, for the very, very, very long term. What's the name of your company again? Yeah, it's called Realm Investors. So R-E-A-L-M. And are you an owner? Yeah, so I'm, I'm one of three uh, managing partners here. Oh, good for you. So you own equity and all. How many comp How many different buildings do you, you guys own now with partners? Yeah, yeah. right now it'll be just about 14, including 14. construction. Yeah. What's the net asset value of these guys? 30 mil, 40, 20? That's tough this year, this year, that's going to drop this year. That's going to drop. So some of those are in plots as well. So you'll probably be closer to about 40, 40 properties. No, 40 million, 40 million. Okay. Yeah. Are you happy with that? Or what's your goal? Like, I mean, uh, people tell me, you know, how big is your boat? When are you happy in your boat? Yeah. Or do you have to keep going? What's going on? I, I'm very, you know, I think the word is more grateful than happy. Um, I'm happy where I'm at, but I think there's always more. And I think that's, that's what fuels some people, you know, a lot of times it's, it's not about money and, and humans are not driven by the actual accomplishment. They're driven by the journey. And that's been proven, right? It's why, it's why Jeff Bezos still works. People look at that guy and they say, well, he, he has enough money to live 2000 lifetimes. Why is he working? Well, cause it's not about achieving the actual money. It's about now building something, you know, we don't ever dream to be the biggest, I don't want to be the Grant Cardone of apartment buildings, you know, I, where I, I have investors that I don't even know who they are. We just have a fund. We get random money wired into it. I don't know who it is or who they're about or, or what they do. We like to keep things fairly intimate. We like to know all of our investors. So I don't envision us really pursuing that. Um, but I envision us continuing to grow, continuing to bring on investors, continuing to educate people and continuing to bring people onto this incredible path of, of financial freedom. So how do you get over the hurdle of, and then I'll ask you a couple other questions, but how do you get over the hurdle of when someone like, when I do stuff, it's my money to lose, right? So if I lose yeah. it, it's 
that's too sad, too bad. It's my thing. I don't have to worry about other people. Yeah. I, I used to do a thing called, uh, I think it was called the psychology of money when I was a shrink there. And the concern yeah. about that is people would follow it too close. So I stopped doing it for a long time. I felt guilty. That, what if someone actually does this? So then I flipped it and say, this is what I'm doing. Whatever you do, I don't care. I'm just telling you what I do, right? Because yeah. I worry. How do you get over the feeling that people are giving you money or writing checks to invest and yeah. you're now responsible for that money? Like, how does yeah. that, how do you get over that? Oh my gosh. So... You know, one is is a big track record of success, which thankfully we've been able to have. Um, and I totally agree with you when you deal with other people's money, you know, so I, I am much, I'm much less um, risk sensitive with my own money. You know, I'll invest in anything. If I think it has a, a possibility of popping off, I love it. Um, with other people, we're very, very, very safe. Now, what I do and, and a big part of our business is in total transparency. So there's no guarantees. We have to have an understanding that all investing has risks. The, the total upside is this that we're pursuing. The total downside, the risk is this. Um, so really having those blunt conversations and informing people, hey, if if this is a, pop, a spot where you cannot afford to take on this risk because you're, you're going to be in a detrimental situation, do not do it right now. Give us Justin, can time. I ask you, how old are you? I'm 29. 29. Months. Okay, a couple quick questions. Because yeah. we're going to continue with that theme. If um, if a hundred percent is everything you know about investing and doing uh, apartment syndications, what percent do you think you know? If a hundred percent skills, skills and knowledge, like Michael Jordan would probably be ninety nine percent. Okay. Or you know LeBron yeah. would be ninety nine or something. What would you be in this world of apartment syndication? Yeah, I give myself. I give so here's what I'm gonna rate it. I'm gonna rate it on a bell curve. I mean, 50 is average. <laughs> That's well, crazy. You don't average. have to do that, man. Have confidence. What do you think you are? Well, I think it's important because some people, if they go to school, 50% is failing, but 50% is actually means average. So yeah. if 50 is average, I'm gonna give myself a 70, 75. Because I so think you know 75% of everything on the planet about apartment syndication. As it is now, because I I'm a huge on education. I'm huge. I'm huge. I have so many newsletters I'm subscribed to. I have so many mentors and coaches in the space, so many masterminds, because I think that's really important. And I don't think anybody will be at 100, right? Because things change. COVID um, happened, right? Nobody was at 100 before last year because most people haven't seen a pandemic, right? So, so many of those change. So, I think it's hard to really get to total, total mastery, but you can always strive for it. So, what do you think the probability is of failure um, if people do invest with you? Historically speaking, we we have not missed on a projection, thankfully. Um, now, of course, is past performance indicative of future performance? No, but just historically, we've been fortunate for that. And I think you have to define what failure is. The Go to zero, of, lose all my money. Lose all your money. So here's what I'll say about that is I've we've had investors who invested in literally hundreds of deals. I've had on my podcast people who have been passive investors professionally for 20, 30 years who invested in several hundreds of deals. I haven't heard of one that's lost all their money. I've heard of people missing projections. I've heard of people breaking even after a couple of years. I've heard of people losing a little bit, but I haven't heard of somebody losing. Hey, if I write you a check for $50,000, it's gone and I don't ever see it again. So what happens at 10 or 15% or 20% mortgages? I don't, I don't believe we'll get to 25% mortgages. Yeah, I didn't ask you that, buddy. I lived through yeah. 10, 15, and 20% mortgages. 
yeah. in the 80s and I was in the business. So I'm just wondering, is that part of your calculation or is that considered so out of out of the world we're not even looking at? It's it's not it's not in our calculation right now for us to get to to twenty percent. You know, I think even the stark quadrupling of rates over the past twelve months has, has been shocking for for many people. There's a lot of people in trouble right now. We do bake in interest rate rises, but we're not pushing pushing up to fifteen twenty percent. Are you at ten? What happens at ten points? At ten points, you know, I still don't think we get there. Um, even in the in in. If we get to 10 percentage points, a lot of our deals are locked into longer terms than that. So one thing that we like to do too is even look at HUD loans, which are 35-year terms, and their interest rates are very aggressive. So, you know, is there a D-Day button where the Fed jacks you up to 10% right away? I, I don't see that happening right now, but okay. it, it, you know, nothing's impossible. Okay, let me ask you a few final questions I ask everybody. Give us your typical day from the time you get up to the time you hit the hay. What's a typical day like for you? Yeah. So I wake up, I'm an early riser. I like to get up about five, five thirty. um, let the dog out, make breakfast, train our dog a little bit. And then I get to work. I get to work right at about six o'clock. So that's just my style. I just really like doing that. Um, I prioritize my day. I make sure my schedule for the week is, is or good organized and everybody is no double bookings and things like that. Um, I, I work on my inbox. I work through my day. I do a lot of my calls in the morning podcasting, podcast interviews. We do a lot of educational content, takes up most of my day. Um, after the workday, I'm actually a competitive jujitsu. Um, I'm a jujitsu competitor. So I have training at night. So that takes me from about till about 8 PM. Then I have dinner, watch some TV with the girlfriend, and then it's about time to go to bed. Well, and that's what, five days a week, six, seven, three, how often do you do yeah, that? Yeah, that, that's five days a week. And then on weekends, that's a, it's a, it's a, downed version of that where i'll, I'll mostly train jujitsu and then i'll work maybe an hour or two but that's about it two final questions what's your best investment you ever did for yourself yeah the best investments i've ever made in myself have been in formal coaching courses specifically with real estate investing i truly mm -hmm. believe the, the biggest roi you ever hit is on in your education um and so that you know i took the plunge it was about fifty thousand dollars at the time um and that was the single best investment that I made. Investing What's the worst, the worst investment you ever did? Or biggest yeah. mistake you made, I guess I should say. Yeah, the biggest mistake. So I would say the worst investment we did was actually our first one. It was a 34 unit property. Uh, we didn't take investors money. So we knew it was our first one. We weren't going to take investors money on it. And the the deal ended up doing pretty good. Um, we missed our projections on it because we didn't we didn't fire fast enough. We should have fired fast enough. We were very optimistic that man, the manager was very competent. Um, we gave a lot of opportunities for him to continue proving himself. And at the end of the day, we, we should have let him go sooner. And so that was the biggest lesson that we learned there. So sure. I wouldn't say it was a disaster, but we learned to, to hire slow and fire fast. Final quick one. What's the average rate on your 14 buildings of mortgages, you know? Interest? Yeah. Interest rate. Um, our average rates right now, some are locked in, some are newer construction loans. It's probably about 6%, six points, maybe a little bit over 6%. And so, and your average cap rates, do you do that kind of calculation or no? No, I mean, our average cash return on these properties right now, um, on the ones that we are pushing for cash flow, are going to be close, just under 7%. That's cash flow? Yeah, cash, cash flow. Yes. Just cash flow. That's cash not return. increase. Cash that's not increasing the value of the asset. Return. 
That's cash return on the to the investors. So they get checked monthly, weekly, how often? Quarterly. Quarterly. Okay. Yeah. Again, your site, how can people learn more? Yeah. So the best way to learn more, if you're interested in passive investing, we do have a website, a website, it's a realminvestor.com. Um, I also have an ebook. That's probably going to be the, the best source for passive investing. It's at the definitive guidebook.com. Justin, it's been fun talking to you. Yeah, Hank, I appreciate it, man. This is an awesome interview. I love your style. I wish we had more time. Thanks for sharing all the personal stuff, but it really helps people understand, you know, that I'm so impressed with your grinding. I mean, if I lived closer, we'd do some biz somehow, but I'm, <laughs> yeah, I'm at the other it. side. I'm in the fourth quarter. I'm almost into overtime of life. So I got to yeah. <laughs> focus on what time I have left. Yeah, I love it. I mean, this has been phenomenal. Appreciate it. I hope the, hope the listeners liked it too. Thank you, man. Take care. Bye-bye. Remember to pick up my latest book, What Grandpa Learned from His Honeybees, the little book to be smart with your money and help the environment on Amazon or Audible. Pick it up today.